Hello, thank you for stopping by this science fiction podcast from Third Flatiron Publishing in Boulder, Colorado. Today we're presenting the short story, From Here to the Northern Line, by Eduardo Albert. Eduardo was born in London of Italian and Sri Lankan ancestry. He says he has virtually no family history as his late grandparents, one Sinhala and one Tamil, were disowned by their respective families for marrying. Third Flatiron's glad to have him as one of our authors. For more from Third Flatiron, check out our website at thirdflatiron.com and subscribe to our RSS feed. On the surface, this little story is about commuting. Most of us endure it as a necessary evil. But what if behind the mundane were something strange and wondrous? And now, here's From Here to the Northern Line, read by Harriet Whitbread. From Here to the Northern Line by Eduardo Albert. Mr. Mannion? Yes? I rubbed the sleep from my eyes and peered blearily at the two uniformed men standing at the door. Transport police. We're here to interview your son. Huh? Your son, explained the more grizzled looking of the pair. We want to talk to him. The mention of police had, I thought, banished sleep completely. I beg your pardon, I said, attempting the horror of Lady Bracknell and achieving the foppishness of Algernon Moncrief. There is a serious matter concerning your son. We need to talk to him now. I shook my head. This did not make sense. Hang on a minute. We are talking about the same boy here, Graham. Graham Mannion. The sort of boy who tells me to slow down when I'm doing 31 miles per hour in a 30 miles per hour zone. The boy who got voted least likely to get in trouble with the police five years running at his school. You want to speak to him? Yes, said the younger policeman. We want to see Graham Mannion. Well, I'm afraid you're out of luck. He's out. I began to close the door. But the older officer put his hand against it. and The door stopped dead, as if it had run into a wall. I pushed harder, but it was like shoving concrete. Where is he? asked the younger officer. I don't know. Out. You allow your young son to wander about without any idea of where he's gone or when he'll be back? The policeman raised an eyebrow. I was beginning to dislike him. I wonder what social services would say about this, he said, turning to his colleague. The older policeman tusked loudly. Not very good parenting. Then they both turned and stared at me. I said, you do know he's 17. There was a silence. The older policeman said, I knew that. Me too, said the younger one. Or well, being 17, as you say you knew, you'll understand that my son could be back at any time. So I suggest you come back later. I began to shut the door. But the older policeman got his hand in the gap as the door closed. Huh. Well, squelched might be a more accurate description of what happened. Oh, said the older policeman. I looked at the fingers caught in the door jam and was impressed that he had been able to say anything at all. Ooh, that must have hurt. I pulled the door open. The policeman wrung out his hand. But other than that, he seemed remarkably unbothered that his fingers had been crushed. It did. 
He wrapped a white handkerchief around his fingers and without looking up said to his partner, Officer Black, please serve Mr. Mannion with a warrant. An unimpeachably legal-looking document was held before my eyes, apparently giving them the right to enter my home, take it apart, remove whatever they wanted, and, oh, who knows, sleep with my wife. Well, since we were a court case away from the divorce becoming final, they were welcome to her. But I wasn't too happy about the rest of it. Are you going to let us pass, or do we have to force our way in? asked Officer Black. Which would you prefer? Do you have to ask? The young policeman cracked his knuckles. Despite the situation, I could hardly stop myself giggling. It was like having two bad actors on my doorstep. I half expected to see a director standing somewhere out of shot. Be my guest, I stepped back. The policeman filed in. Graham's room upstairs, straight ahead of you. I followed them halfway up the stairs and then stopped. The two men were standing on either side of the closed door to Graham's room, backs to the wall, guns drawn. Guns drawn? What? I began, but then discovered that having someone point a gun at me is an efficient method of shutting me up. Officer Black held his finger to his lips. I wanted to tell him that Graham really wasn't in there, but, well, he was pointing a gun at me. One, two, three. The men mouthed the words, and then they went in. The older policeman forcing the door back and sweeping his revolver around in a broad two-handed arc, while the younger and more athletic Officer Black rolled into the room, his gun sweeping the corners. I wanted to applaud. I settled for pointing out that I'd told them Graham wasn't in. Where is he then? asked Officer Black, shouldering his pistol. Out with his mother at this time. He stayed with her yesterday. We're not together any more. I looked at the alarm clock. He said something about going to watch some trains this morning and then going to school. Why didn't you take him to see the train? asked the older policeman. I looked at him incredulously. Would you want to get up at some godforsaken hour in the morning to stand on a windy platform and watch trains rattling by? The older policeman thought about it for a while. Yes, he said. We are the transport police, added Officer Black. I was being warranted by the League of Train Spotters. Transport police. Naturally, you like trains. Professional interest, I suppose. But the police were no longer interested in conversation. Officer White, take a look at this. The young Officer Black pointed at Graham's desk. What do you think? They hunched over the desk. I sidled closer to see what they were poring over and remained mystified at their interest. They were pointing at and whispering over Graham's railway and tube maps. He draws them himself, obsessively copying out the different routes. If I ever needed to get anywhere, all I had to do was ask Graham and he'd reel off the answer, complete with alternative routes, should there be delays on any of the lines. Graham's got Asperger's syndrome and trains... They're his thing. They have been ever since he was two. He and I spent many a cold, windy Saturday morning on railway platforms watching trains while his mother got a lion. Well, at least that's what she told me at the time. I could see them pointing from one map to another, whispering back and forth, as if Graham had copied down state secrets. Come on, I said. It's not against the law to draw the tube map. Officers white and black turned round. 
They were each holding one of Graham's maps in the corner of the paper fashion of a policeman handling vital evidence. Copyright. I looked from one man to the other and back again. Neither cracked a smile. Oh, come on. You're not trying to tell me it's against the law for a boy to copy out the tube map. Officer White and Officer Black stared at me. They still weren't smiling. This is a very serious matter, began Officer Black. Intellectual property rights are the basis of all modern civilizations, continued Officer White. And your son is flagrantly violating them. They finished in unison. Up until that day, I could have counted the occasions I'd been lost for words on my thumbs. The day's events were calling in my fingers. We'll be taking all this in as evidence, said Officer White, as Officer Black carefully placed Graham's painstakingly drawn maps on top of each other. Bag them, Officer Black. Officer Black stopped what he was doing. Why do I always have to do the bagging? Because you have the bags. Oh, right. Officer Black began putting the maps into clear plastic folders that seemed to shrink to fit as they were placed in. You've got self-laminating bags, I said. Oh, yeah, these, said Officer Black, looking at the bag in his hand as if he was seeing it for the first time. Why do I always carry the bags? Because you have pockets, said Officer White. Oh, right. Officer Black went back to bagging. Officer White was going through the other things on Graham's desk. Neither of them was paying any attention to me. So I towed Graham's latest incomplete map under the bed. I didn't see why they should get all of Graham's work. He'd spent hours, days sometimes, working on his maps. It was just such a shame that all he did was copy. You know, there was a time when I thought Graham would grow up to be a great painter. But I guess my originality gene just didn't get through. Is that everything, Officer Black? That's everything, Officer White. The transport police, packed and bagged, turned to go. Don't I get a receipt? I asked, innocently enough. Oh, it was thus thoroughly satisfying to see the glances bouncing back and forth in whispers. I thought you wrote one. I thought you did. And how was I supposed to write a receipt and back up all the evidence? Officer's white smile, when he turned it on me, was significantly less dazzling than before. One moment, please. He got out a pad and started scribbling furiously. Officer Black, meanwhile, was finding the corners of the room most interesting. Nice weather, he said, when he accidentally caught my eye. I thought back over the last few weeks of unseasonable cold rain and wind. No, I mean, it's nice to have some weather, as opposed to not having any weather. Uh, yes. Officer Black cast a glance in the direction of his partner. Are you finished yet, Officer White? Here. Officer White tore off the top sheet of paper and handed it to me. Right, now. We must be off. You haven't signed it. What? I pointed. You haven't signed it. Officer White snatched the receipt, scrawled an illegible signature and handed it back. Right there. Let's go. Officer Black. With you there, Officer White. I followed the men to the door and watched them march to their car. Once they were safely out of the way, I went back upstairs and retrieved the map. For policemen, they didn't seem much good at searches. But there was always the chance they'd come back, and it was too much to hope they'd miss it a second time. So I needed to find somewhere safer to hide it. It really was a beautiful piece of work. It was only a pity that Graham didn't lavish the same attention on his schoolwork. I mean, the way he drew the line from Edgware to... I shook my head and retraced the route. That was odd. The northern line didn't go there, did it? 
earth was Graham drawing? I began to smile. Maybe the boy was actually developing an imagination. Graham came in, sat down at the table and began taking his notebook, camera and flask from his backpack and arranging them on the table. Yes, I'm afraid so. My teenage son really does carry around a thermos flask of tea. The camera was placed in front of him so he could review the photos. The notebook on his right so he could label the photos correctly and the flask to his left ready to be washed out. He didn't say hello, but then he usually doesn't unless reminded. Hello, I said. Hello, Dad. Graham didn't look up from what he was doing. Some people called to see you. Graham didn't answer. He was staring at the camera display, his nose wrinkled, eyes squinting and nose scrunched. It was a characteristic expression. It meant something did not compute. The transport police. They took away your maps. All except this one. And I laid Graham's latest effort on the table, moving the camera to make room. We stared down at a map that, although ostensibly a normal diagram of the London Underground, had all sorts of additional lines, stations and termini. I didn't know the other branch of the Northern Line terminated at Clark Skyhook. The line from Betelgeuse E to Zenobia via Place de la Concorde is a new one to me too. Graham looked up with a sort of embarrassed smile that meant he was about to lie excruciatingly badly. I held up my hand. Just don't say it. But don't say that either. But shh. I put a finger to my lips. Now, what did we learn in psych classes? It's all right to make things up, Graham. It's called imagination. It's fun, not lying. But that's three buts, Graham. I patted his head. I don't feel any horns. I looked closely at his temples. I don't see any horns. Therefore, you are not a goat. So don't go butting me, right? Now, why are the transport police looking for you? I can't believe you've been fair dodging or, or doing something wrong. Oh, God forbid. I crossed myself in an old, half-remembered gesture, mainly because it would annoy Graham, who hated casual blasphemy. I suppose I must have been more upset by the raid than I'd realised. But, Dad, that's what I've been trying to tell you, wailed Graham. It's true! It's not made up. <laughs> Come on. You'll be telling me you've been to... I, I glanced at the map and pointed at an unlikely sounding station. Wilsdon Junction next. Yes, said Graham, and so have you. We went to see the trains on the West Coast mainline from Euston. Oh, that occasion of joy. Well, well, I might have been there, but, but what about this station? Trantor, read out Graham, peering over my finger. It's a bit busy. I, I, I didn't stay long. Oh, come on, Graham. You're not telling me you've been to all these places. La Defence, Rigger 3, Bowling Green. You're making them up. Graham looked puzzled. Not that that was unusual. He almost always looked puzzled. It was bloody annoying. They take the oyster card, Dad. I didn't cheat. Now, there's chance of you cheating, then, well, then of me getting back with your mum. Oh, come on, though. Look, these are just stations you've read about, right? Graham looked thoughtful. If I cheated on something, would you get back with mum? No! Now, answer the question. It might be better if I showed you, Dad, said Graham. Which was how I wound up on a platform staring up at the star formations of the lesser Magellanic cloud while listening for announcements on the late running train to the Milky Way. Turns out you can get anywhere on the tube. Who'd have known?
Graham, that's who. Being Asperger's and obsessed with detail, he'd spotted the modified tube maps and unmarked interchanges that put passengers onto the galactic transport network and explored them. So, I said, trying to sound insouciant as two large carnids walked past. Why are the transport police after you? I don't think we're supposed to know about the tube. Lots of aliens use Earth as a dormitory planet. It's very convenient for the spiral arms. And prices would rocket if the news got out at home. Really? Six months later, 17 galactic estate agents and 34 surveyors had set up offices on Earth. People were holidaying in the Milky Way and commuting to Andromeda. I was a very, very, very rich man. And Graham was the most famous train spotter in history. Thermos flasks were most definitely in. Thanks for listening to this podcast from thirdflatiron.com. Music and sound production were by Andrew Cairns. <laughs>